Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So then, who remembers Spider on the cobbles? He was Corrie's answer to Swampy, who managed to get street stalwart Emily, Eileen Derbyshire, eco-warrioring up a tree. Yes, it was the late 90s when Martin Hancock began playing Geoffrey, Emily's long-lost nephew. So what's Eileen Derbyshire really like? We're itching to know. So, um, lovely to talk to you, Martin. Of course... We're going back to the 1990s. That was your period in Corrie, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. I think I went in 97, 98, something like that. Right, OK. And how long were you there for? Uh, I think I was in Corrie for... Oh, gosh. Hang on. I went in 90, late 97, and I think I got written out 2001. So I did four right. years. I did four years, but then I, kept, I, I went back a couple of times after that as well. Yeah, you're an occasional character every now and yeah, again. Yeah, I became an occasional character, yes. Fabulous. So take us back then in your... Obviously, we know that the character, you became legendary in a way for your double act with your Auntie Emily. But how did you get the part? How did the role come, come about? Because it was a strange role in a way. What, what, you know, where did you hear about it and what was the original premise? June West, I think, was the casting director of Granada, is that right? And she came to see me in a very, very weird, weird play called Hoover Bag, where I played a dead son um, who came back to his mother for a Hoover Bag. And yeah, don't ask, it was right out there. And it was, but it was all about the BSE crisis and about mad cows and uh, and all of that kind of thing. So it stemmed from that, and that got me auditioned with Brian Park. The, the axe man, who, funnily enough, ironically gave me a job. Um, and I didn't find very axy at all. He was rather lovely. Yeah, but I, my agent said to me, she said, uh, how do you feel about playing an eco-warrior in Coronation Street? And being a good Cockney lad and a bit of a trendy, I said, are you having a um, bleep, bleep, bleep laugh? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, no, do you want to go up, and go up for it? So I went up for it, got the script, loved it. It was all the Theresa the Turkey stuff. And it was, you could just see the writer's tongue firmly implanted in his cheek, but in a really playful, fun, just classic Coronation Street way of let's not take ourselves too seriously here. And I loved it, and I just I fell in love with it, and I think Brian saw that, and that's how I got the part. So you obviously looked like an eco-warrior then, did you, you think? Personally, I thought I looked very trendy back then in the 90s. I, was, I, I looked a bit, bit more of a sort of techno-raver or a glam raver than than, a, than than an eco warrior. I was a little bit dismayed with the costume when I first got it. I just thought, oh, how many years am I going to have to wear this? <laughs> Especially that they had that multicolored jumper they always used to put me in, and it's I oh it just it was a very it was a very 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 thing of of what an eco warrior would wear. But it was so itchy, scratchy, hot. It was it was it was hot on a hot day, and it was freezing cold on a cold day it, it served no good purpose as a jumper <laughs> so you, you got the role and obviously you know this is you're going to be starring in the most popular tv show in the country i've spoken to quite a few people who've been in Coronation street and of course that is always daunting in itself when were you told you were going to be actually working very closely with one of the iconic characters of coronation street 
I mean, I always knew from the beginning that I would end up working with the icon that is Eileen Derbyshire, um, Emily Bishop, because I, of the scripts, obviously, when, I, when I'm auditioning, a lot of it was to do with Emily. And it was incredibly frightening because you're thinking, what's this person going to be like? What's this person going to be like? And I walked in and she couldn't have been a kinder, nicer, more lovely person and and was for my entire time in Corrie. She, she was just so good to me. So do you remember your first day on set at Corrie then? Um, I don't know if I can remember my first day on Corrie. It's the 90s. <laughs> if you were there, you don't remember a lot of it. Um, my first day on set, I don't... What I do remember really, really well was my first ever scene in the Rovers was Spider doing a big speech to the pub about whatever it was Spider was doing a big speech about. And it was everyone. Everyone was in there. You know, and I had Kev Kennedy right up the front. I was addressing them all. I had Kev Kennedy up the front, making faces, trying to corpse me like he did pretty much constantly throughout my time there. You had Elmer Baldwin there. You had Mike Baldwin there. You had just all of them, all of them, and all staring at me. And I've got to kind of, and I just, just suddenly I, I sort of came out of a, a rude word and said, me, I'm in Coronation Street. <laughs> I'm actually in the Rovers. And it was, yeah, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Was that one of the, one of the early scenes that you had to do? One of the first ones? One of, one of my very earliest scenes was, yeah, was um, a big address to the Rovers. Because obviously you shoot out of sync. You, you don't shoot in a linear fashion. So I think it was actually Spider's third episode that he was in, or fourth episode that he was in. But it was in the same block of filming. Because we'd film, we'd film in one week blocks. And so, it was sort of a scene that was going to be right at the end of, of, of Spider's introduction week, but it was right at the beginning of our actual filming week. So that's why it sort of happened that way. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. So obviously you were this eco-warrior kind of character. What was the actual connection with you and Emily? Were you actually her nephew? Was that, is that right? I'm her brother's son, because her first line was something, oh, thingy's boy. So I'm her brother's son, and but the reason I was there was because I was a protester at Manchester Airport and I'd got nicked. I'd had my collar felt and I had to give an address that was reasonably local um, or been given my marching orders. I wouldn't have been bailed. So in, in order to avoid strange ways, I gave my, um, my dear Auntie Emily's address in Weatherfield. Ah, OK, so that's how you ended up uh, calling on your Auntie Emily. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Did you know much about, obviously you got, the eco-warrior kind of thing. So you got an element of comedy. You always knew there was going to be a comic element. But obviously, in all soaps, soap characters are you're not one-dimensional. There's always different aspects to them. Um, did, did you have any inkling at the beginning as to what kind of person uh, Spider was, just generally? I mean, obviously he came out, he was a nice guy and all the rest of it. But did, what I'm trying to say is, did that element, the, the deeper element to Spider evolve over time i mean did you start out being more one-dimensional and the character actually got more depth as it went along i think what i was quite anxious to do was not to have spider as a and i I spoke to brian right from the beginning brian park right from the first our first conversation was i don't want this bloke to be worthy i mean by by which i i mean every time you got someone who was vaguely political or 
who was from the alternate scene in Soaps, they tended to be terribly worthy. They're always so worthy and do-goody and boring. And I wanted Spider to be naughty, a very naughty boy, but with a good heart. So that Spider would be a scamp. He would cause trouble. He would be a pain in the posterior. But you kind of forgave him for it because he did it with a good heart. Um, and that he didn't take himself too seriously. You know, that was another thing with him is, is he always, his, he always saw himself as slightly ridiculous in what he was doing, but totally believed in what he was doing, if you know what I mean. You know, so he's trying to, exp- he's trying to run against Alf Roberts. He probably won't win. But as he said at the time, he quoted, I think, Marcus Aurelius. He said, no true effort is ever wasted. Now, Emily's character, I'm talking about Emily a little bit because you, you were obviously very close to her and that was, she was very much part of the, part of the story. Over the years, she's, she's waxed and waned in the sense that at times she's been very, very much part of the storyline, you know, in the days of Swindley and people back in the 1960s, play by Arthur Lowe and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember having a, a, a sort of a, a very... Um, romantic affair with a was it a Spaniard or an Italian or something she was going to run off this you know so then she, then then of course she had um she's also the street's first revolutionary remember she she blockaded the street she did she did then you had um she was the victim of bigamy uh back in the 70s or 80s and then before that of course her husband was shot in the raincoat factory <laughs> uh, Ernest Ernest Bishop uh, that's, yeah. one my, that's one of my earliest memories of of Coronation Street but there have been lots of periods when she's not really had much to do. She's been quite quiet. And, you know, there's, she's been there to sort of act as a support to people like Rita and others. So it's quite nice to see her getting another meaty sort of storyline in a way. Did, did um, Eileen sort of ever feed back to you about how she felt about that storyline and the character and everything and, 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 and that kind of thing? Um, Eileen, I, I, I think Eileen just sort of, I think she had some trepidation initially about it, but then we got on so well, and it worked. The chemistry was so good. I mean, it was. I think any any concerns she might have had had, had were were allayed. And also, is that Eileen in real life is very, 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 very astute and very sharp. She's got a wonderful sense of humour. She's really dry, but she's she's brilliant. It's why people love playing off her and working with her so much in, in, in the street. Um, because, yes, she, she, she will quite happily play sort of the straight man in a situation. But with a twinkle in her eye, <laughs> she's, she's really, she's a very, 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 very good actress. And of course, she's been there almost since the beginning. I mean, she basically, Bill Roach, I think, has been there about a month longer than her. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's literally weeks. She, she was with Hull Truck. She was touring with Hull Truck, she said to me. And she said, uh, her agent said, rang her up and said, there's a North Country drama. She said, I don't think much will come of it. But, um, but I, think they're two, I think they're two weeks into it or three weeks into it. And they're wondering if they'd like you to join as a regular. Um, <laughs> little did she know, and she was quite young then. At that point, she was she was very young, wasn't she? In nineteen well, was nineteen sixty one, if I remember right. Was- yeah, but and also the language that they used to use, North Country, the North Country. You know, it's it's, it's ridiculous. The thing about um, about Eileen is what's quite interesting is that 
you never get a chance to interview Eileen. She's seen as the Greta Garbo of... Uh, of <laughs> nobody, nobody ever gets to interview her. So it's quite interesting to speak to you. So obviously she plays this very, you know, particular type of character. Um, but I, I mean, I've been in, into Coronation Street when she's been there and I, I've noticed that she was, you know, I didn't I get a chance to talk to her, but she seemed to be quite, quite serious, but also quite, you know, fun. You know, tell us a little bit about Eileen as a person. You know, how, how fun could she be? Eileen, as a person, could be incredibly fun, incredibly witty. I mean, the little things like when mobile phones first came out, like many of her generation, she had her, her, her pass key was on the back of a phone. And obviously her son's a very famous sports journalist. Um, Oliver was in, I think, Las Vegas covering uh, one of the Lennox Lewis fights. And Eileen used to get me whenever I, should, I don't know if I should say this, but but basically, um, Eileen suddenly acquired an enormous wealth of sporting knowledge when she used to speak to Oliver. Um, that was because she had she had me feeding her all the yeah yeah and uh, third round and fourth, fourth round used for jab a lot and Eileen was just like that. I think Oliver knew full well that I was there on the other end of the phone giving her little prompts, but she she was wonderful. Um, when we were up the tree, when we were up the tree on New Year's Day, and it was blowing a force four gale, and we were out on a, literally out on a limb, <laughs> um, and thirty foot up, top of a hill, and we I think they had we had a little waist harness on, and that was it. And when the stunt man turned up after we'd finished filming, he was he's quite shocked. But Eileen was up there, and she was just she was, she kept nudging me, sort of saying, "Saying, are you nervous yet? Are you nervous yet? Are you nervous yet?" And I'm like, "Stop it!" And she, you know, she she was. Oh, well, I'm not sure how old she was then. I would like to say, but she, yeah, she, you know, she, she wasn't a youngin like I was. But she was up there laughing and really and enjoying it. And also, back in them days, we had curved screens on our TVs, which meant whenever we filmed in the Rovers, we all had to squeeze in very tightly together. Um, it's to do with pers- the perspective and things like that, but we would be squeezed in there. Um, and she was a great one for waiting until it was coming up to a bit where we were going to be speaking, and the finger would just sort of start poking me in the ribs, and I'd start getting a little tickle. Um, and yeah, and just, just just messing about and having fun. The other thing we used to do a lot as well, which we used to get in trouble with, and we couldn't help it. But we used to pull Friday afternoons. We always used to pull the Friday afternoon block. And so we were the last ones there. Everyone's on a, in a state of exhaustion by this stage, all the crew and everyone. Um, but we always used to have our cups of tea and cake scenes, last thing on a Friday. So we'd be having our cups of tea and our cake, and we'd be yucking away. And, it, and because we both knew each other's characters so well by that stage... We'd just be bibbling and babbling and chit-chatting away and yakety yakety yakety, and she's sort of calling me Martin and I'm calling her Eileen and we're both whacking it, and then all of a sudden you'd hear cut <laughs> like that, and everyone and, and no one had noticed, but we've been calling each other by our real names for for about four or five takes, and it'd be ah, like, oh, and back 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 we'd track and, and do it again in character. <laughs> Talking about names, what was his? Obviously, was, we knew him as Spider. But what was his actual name, first name? His real name was Jeffrey. That's right. That's right. That's right. Jeffrey Nugent. That's right. And why? Where did? Where does the name Spider come from? 
Spider was to do with the fact that, well, one, they wanted him to be a Swampy-type character. Right, of course, because Swampy was around at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, Swampy, 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 was, Swampy was doing the Newbury protests, but Spider was doing the Manchester Airport protest. But basically, the protesters all... At the time, there was some kind of legal loophole in the law where if you gave a pseudonym, you know, a, a nom de guerre, you... You couldn't go to court. There, there was some reason for it anyway that they'd, they'd, they'd do that. They'd all give themselves these, these street names. Of course, you could be Spider-Man as well. I could be Spider-Man. In fact, I got in a lot of trouble with Brian Park one day. The, the Red Cross asked me to do an abseil uh, down in the Piccadilly Tower in Manchester um, with Spider-Man to raise money for the Red Cross. And, of course, there's that big section of your contract where it says, do not do anything which may endanger life. Um, but I thought it'd be okay. It's, you know, it'll get a few column inches tucked away somewhere. And it was on the front page of the Manchester Evening News. And, and I had to go into, into work sort of that afternoon. And it's like Brian Park sees me at the other end of the car park, holds the newspaper up, and then walks towards me, rolling it up slowly as he goes, gets to me when it's a baton and just hits me over the head with it a few times. And says, do you do remember the bit of your contract that says, don't put your life in danger? <laughs> And I'm like, but it was for charity, man. Very, very good, very good. So, yeah, it sounds like you've got one of the the greats to work with. Um, I mean, that not many people people go into soaps and things, and their characters start off in a, often in a fairly slow way and and all the rest of it. But you were throwing in the deep end a little bit. Um, obviously, you got somebody in Eileen who was who, who was you know helped helped you out and sort of got you through all that kind of thing. But was it still daunting at the beginning in a way to to obviously you mentioned the 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 scene in the in the rovers but you know you're there with all these actors barbara knox and, and bill roach and sue nichols and uh obviously at the time and kurt bride uh, yeah and john yeah and jo- absolutely and john uh, johnny briggs and people like that you know how did that feel because obviously uh, presumably you'd grown up watching all these people like most of us yeah i mean it was very very strange it was sort of these these, these you got all these iconic people and you're looking at them, and you're thinking, these. I've, I've got to be careful not to swear, but it, you're thinking, thinking, blimey, these people are my colleagues, um, and I'm I'm mucking about with Anne Kirkbride. It's like me and Anne Kirkbride are, are, are putting practical jokes, you know. It's like it's like we're, we're, we're you know, and it's like we're, we're pulling jokes on Sean Wilson. It's like Tracy Shaw's walked in on us. We, we basically Anne had a fart machine, and. It's a remote control fart machine, and and, and she we, we just played havoc on the set with it. And we at one point we were trying to we were pretending that we were in the toilet constipated, and we got pebbles and we were dropping pebbles into a toilet with a fart machine, while we had Sean Wilson's phone because um, we knew that he was on set. So we we kind of leaving him these weird voicemails, and and Georgia was in there, Georgia Taylor was in there with us as well, Toya, and we we were all in there just doing all this, and 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 then. Maxine walks into the toilet to to use the toilet and the three of us are there around the toilet bowl going <laughs> It's not what it looks like <laughs> Sounds sounds as they had some tremendous tremendous fun. And of course in those days this was this around about the time when they were starting to do more and more episodes, wasn't it? It was quite busy, wasn't it, at that time? Oh, at the late nineties the amount of episodes was ridiculous. I mean it was just we were doing we were doing the, we're doing four episodes a week, plus we were doing specials, plus we were doing the odd 
hour and a half episode or one hour specials and so we were doing pre-shoots, post-shoots, the actual shoots and then the additional shoots and then the bubble shoots and of course as I said you don't film anything in a linear in, in a linear order or in you know and you're, you're kind of like where are we who are we what are we doing um it was yeah it was it was a very 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 busy time on the on, on the street yeah and no, I, can, I can I can imagine and um obviously you had entered I mean I think you're the same age as me I'm 47 I think you're roughly the same age aren't you around the same age as I'm I'm actually in, in in truth I'm actually older oh right okay 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 yeah. I'm 94. <laughs> oh, you're doing a Doris Speed, are you? Because Doris Speed. Yeah, yeah, speed. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, but you're around that sort of. Yeah, I'm around your age. Yes, yes. So at that point, you'd have been obviously a young guy in his 20s on a, a big program, a big, uh, you know, TV program. Did it sort of. Obviously, you'd be suddenly recognised and all the rest of it. How did it change your life in that, in that sense? Did you. You know, were you still able to sort of enjoy yourselves? You're from, obviously from down south, but uh, did, did you know Manchester? Did you know the area? I, I, at the time, I used to work for Oliver Payton, who, who's now Great British Menu. And at the time, Oliver had just opened Machinaire, um in Manchester. And so I used to share a house with one of his sisters and I was best friends with another one of his sisters. And, I, you know, basically the family were very, I was very close with the family. And so I sort of had them there, and then I had some other friends in Manchester. And it was when Manchester was it was it was uh, that period of Manchester just after the bomb, when Manchester was rebuilding, and it was really had such a strong identity anyway through the various bands that, and you know and the amazing club scene there. But then it was also rebuilding itself as well commercially, and it was becoming a city that you lived in rather than you worked in. And it was very, very exciting. I mean, it was one of, I think, I think I was very, very privileged to be in Manchester at the time I was. I mean, that was, of course, when the gay village became a big thing as well, because Queerest Folk around that time, 1999 as well. Well, yeah, the funny thing is I used to live opposite where they filmed Queerest Folk in the village because it was just around the corner from Machinaire. <laughs> Basically, I'm not one for travelling too far to my local. Did you ever get a night's sleep? Because I lived there. I lived on... Um... I lived in Velvet House. Oh, I live around the corner from you. I live around the corner from you. Um, I was in Sackville, um, Sackville Street, the corner of Sackville Street and, and Canal Street. Yeah, well, um, that's, that's, where, that's where I was, roughly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, opposite, opposite McTucky's is where I lived. But did you ever get a night's sleep? Because I always found it quite noisy. I was usually the one making the noise, so it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had a neighbour who moved in next door to me. Um, he was always complaining about, about, about me and my then-girlfriend making noise and, and, and carrying on. But... I sort of I looked at him and I said, "You've bought a house on Canal Street, and you don't like noise." And it turned out also he's a homophobe. And I was just like, "You're an idiot!" I <laughs> said, so "Just one day I just had enough." And I just looked at him. And I said, "You're an idiot!" I said, "You're living in a gay village and you're moaning about gay people and about noise. Um, you want to go and live somewhere else, mate?" But I didn't actually say you want to go and live somewhere else. It was it was a bit more Anglo-Saxon than that. It was a a city, as you say, that you lived in. People were starting to live there, you know, that there hadn't been, you know, most people in the past had, you know, just travelled in kind of thing. And, and um, you know, in the old days, I think Manchester could be a bit dodgy in, in terms of, uh, you know, there was lots of dark, horrible areas, but all these things have been turned into uh, lovely apartments and all sorts of things. And it was a great place to be, you're right, at the time. And, of course, you were coming into Coronation Street when it actually had suddenly had a, 
an injection of quite a few young characters. It had a period where it hadn't had many. And then suddenly in the 90s, you'd got, you know, um, Steve Arnold, Adam Rickett. You'd still got the, um, uh, obviously, Steve and, and, and Andy, the, you know, Nick and, um, and Simon. Yeah. yeah, you'd also got the, uh, the Battersby's as well. So there was a fair few young people suddenly in that programme. Did you find that you socialised quite a bit with them? Did the young people stick together or? Yeah, to a degree we did. I mean, we, we weren't, you know, we weren't out with each other every night, but me and Adam Rickett used to knock about a lot. We, we had a phase where we knocked about and Tracy, you know, we, we used to go out a bit and Angela, we used to go out. Yeah, you know, we, 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 would, knock, we, would, knock, we would knock around a lot. I mean, if we were out and we saw each other, especially so, because, you know, it, you, are, you are sort of living in your bubble. And so if we were out, there's a safety, there's a safety in numbers. You know, we, yeah, we used to hang out, but we did used to all get on really well as well. There was a distinct lack of annoying um, people in, in, in Corrie. The cast were pretty much, by and large, brilliant. And I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting the cast to be quite as nice as they are, <laughs> considering the amount of pressure everyone was on. Uh, they were a really, really good bunch. As well as amazing TV and film nostalgia, this podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz, where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember about. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. The fifth season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner cell block... Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H. Simply choose your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Khyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Mind of the Month quiz. What kind of programme was The Smoking Room? Oh, I've never heard of it. I don't know oh. if I can accept that. Coming this autumn. That's another cracker, isn't it? They uh, always are. <laughs> Only here. Hello and welcome to The Likely Dads, a new series that looks at parenting from the paternal perspective. I'm always wary of people who plan kids. If your life's that structured, stay away from me. We're not going to get on. <laughs> a brand new show from the team behind Distinct Nostalgia. I'm Tim Vincent and each week I'll be joined by my fellow Likely Dads, Mick Ferry and Russell Kane, as well as a series of special guests to discuss different aspects of fatherhood. When a man has an urge to have a, a child, it's not spoken about much. Women sort of own this area. <laughs> We're sort of open it was going to be like the old films I watch where I'd just have a pipe and I'd be in a study. You just go, you're going to see your father now for 10 minutes. <laughs> Hello, children, what have you been up to today? I'm not interested. All right, off to bed. <laughs> An MIM production for BBC Radio 4. We hope you'll join us and subscribe to The Likely Dads on BBC Sounds. Coming soon to Distinct Nostalgia. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy creating 
a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him. And I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel, and Chris Bisson as we mark this classic British film's 21st birthday. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. East is East at 21. Coming soon to Distinct Nostalgia. Who impressed you most? Because at the time you got, as well as having people like Eileen, who'd been there a long time, and Bill and Barbara, and of course you mentioned Anne Kirkbride and people like that. These were stalwarts of Coronation Street. You'd also got some people there who had done a lot of, a lot of other things and were pretty big actors in their own right. People... You know, John Savadon, who played Fred, who I think was in it. I say, I say, I say, I say. I mean, he, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, you know, he's done some fantastic things over the years. What, you know, what, how did you find him? S- Savage was lovely. <laughs> Savo. Um, John Savadon was lovely. He was, um, I mean, we, we, we bonded over a love of whiskey, you see, so, because he loved the whiskey to John. He'd spent a lot of time down south as well, so he liked news of London. Uh, and we, yeah, we just used to sort of, we, we, we used to get on really, really well. And he told me loads of, you know, all, all his tales of daring do when he was a beat copper, because he was a copper in Ancuts back in the, you know, in the bad old days. You know, he's t- told me about a time when John Stalker saved his life and all these great stories. And, you know, yeah, he's a real character, John Savadon. And, and, and the double act he had, of course, with uh, Steve Arnold was, was brilliant, wasn't it? Really good. Really. Steve Arnold is, I mean, I'm still in touch with Steve. Me and Steve still hang out. On, on on Facebook and stuff, we sort of have little chit chit chats together. But I mean, Steve, Steve, Steve and John's chemistry was brilliant. And that was another thing, actually, about my time in Corrie. The, the chemistry between the older characters and the younger characters was brilliant. They all the interaction between the, the, the different age groups was was so good. There was none of this. The young cast and the old cast. It was. All of them together, you know, because your auntie is your auntie, you know, your 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 surrogate father is your father, you know, these these your father figures are your father figures, and so they all got on so well, and that was that uh, the chemistry there was brilliant, and it's brilliant writing, and it's and the way that the directors on Corrie allowed that to develop, I think, was really really a really positive thing that came out because at the time there's this whole big thing about the youth and the old. And no, never the twain should meet. But on Corrie, everyone lives in the same street. Like we all do in reality, you know. And we all have good relationships with people outside of our own age group. And Corrie really understood that and, 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 and did it very, very well. Well, it's funny you should say that, actually. Um, I can't say too much at the moment, but Distinct Nostalgia is involved in a project to try and bring younger and older actors together. 
and we've got quite a big name actually going to do the first one that we've uh, arranged. I can't say, unfortunately, who it is at the moment. But yeah, it's been a bit of a hobby horse for me for a little while now, working in the industry and doing drama and comedy and all the rest of it, that we've seemed to have got to this the whole thing of trying to put people into little age silos all the time. And it doesn't, it doesn't help for social cohesion generally. And it's, it's nice for, A, it's nice for older and younger actors to work together. But for the audience to see that relationship between older and younger people is is crucial, isn't it, really? It really is. I mean, you know, and, and it's such a buzz as well. I, my, my great regret is, is I never got to act with my, my dear friend, now departed Malcolm Tierney, who, who I loved dearly. But I used to spend hours in his company just bantering and, you know, just sitting in a French house and so I just bantering away and yakking and not really talking about anything particularly. Not anything, you know, but just, just, just enjoying the sound of each other's voices, which is a rare thing for actors. Um, and it was lovely, but, you know, and then I've worked with, you know, like Ken Cranham was the reason I became an actor, and I got to work with him on Our Mutual Friend. Um, and I told him, you know, you're the reason I became an actor, because I saw you in a, in a TV play many, many moons ago, back in the, in the 80s, where he was genius. And... We worked really well together, and, and there is. I'm, I'm so glad you're going to do that. Is, is, is to have a, to, to break down this whole age bubble thing because the age bubble thing does do a disservice to society, and it doesn't exist in society. We, you know, we we have older friends. My wife um, has an amazing relationship with her 96 year old ex neighbour, who we still go to see every day. We still look in on. Um, who she loves and adores, you know, she told me before we got married, you know, there is another man, <laughs> you know, and, and, and good. No, it's true. It's very true. And, and I, I remember my grandparents, I was very close to my partner has a, a grandma, he's in his late thirties and his grandma is in their early nineties and they talk to each other two or three times a day. They're like best friends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, yeah. And I, I, um, um, in more recent years, sadly she has died now. Um, I got to know, through work, I got to know um, a lady called Jean Darling, um, who was one of the little rascals that worked with Laurel and Hardy. Wow. And, uh, and, and we just, for some reason, we got on quite well. We used to have chats, you, you know, and she, she was American, but she ended up living with her son in Germany. And you, it's fantastic because, you, A, you learn a lot from older people generally, but it's just that depth, isn't it? The, 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 the sort of the, and the fact that, yeah, age is not, it really shouldn't be a barrier to friendship. It's just ridiculous. No, no, it shouldn't. No. Um, I mean, now that I'm older... <laughs> you won't, but you're not revealing your age. <laughs> I'm 51. Um, How do you get to be 47 then in all these... It was a joke, and it was a joke that somehow got put onto Wikipedia, and once it was on Wikipedia, it stuck. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was It was a friend of mine was who... Um, was doing an article for for somewhere, and to wind up another friend of ours, we took a couple of years off my age so that I was younger than that person. Oh, okay, I get you. Yeah, so it was like, ah, oh, look at that, I've got younger than you. Ah. Um, and and then suddenly it was like, right, how do we change this back now? Well, you can't now, you said it. I was like, no, no, we have to change it. So this is my opportunity, this is my opportunity to change it back. If it's on Wikipedia, well, it must be true. Exactly, exactly. Now, going back to Corrie at the time, Obviously, you had this good relationship with Emily, and you mentioned the fact that you'd obviously you stood against Alf Roberts and whatever. Who else in the street sort of did spider 
clash with? Bruce Jones. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Les Battersby with the immortal line, it's not a didgeridoo, it's a didgeridon't. Um, it's, yeah, yeah me, and, me and Bruce had a lot of scenes together. Usually, with, usually he had his hands around my throat, but when the cameras weren't rolling, we got on extremely well, luckily. He had his hands around your throat. Was that to do with his oh, yeah. daughter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get your filthy hippie hands off my daughter, but also to do with Teresa the Turkey, to do with Prawn Liberate. Basically, Spider Spider was as far away from from Les as Les was from Spider. They they were, they they weren't the same coin. (laughs) They really weren't. Different planets. Well, talking about about Georgia and and, and the relationship between Spider and, and, and Toya. Who else did Spider sort of hang out with on the streets, apart from his Auntie Emily? Do you know what? I'm trying to think. Is it... He kind of... Float, he tended to float around with Emily. It was... <laughs> Emily was his kind of... Ga- Emily and Elmer. Emily and Elmer he hung around with a fair bit. And then the Battersby's... He, of course, Toya followed him around everywhere. That was the, the initial, initially, that was a storyline, but Toya followed him around everywhere before they became a couple. And then these... Occasionally, various hippie sort of characters would be would come in from Spider's past, and you know they, they'd hang around for a while, and they'd do all that sort of stuff. You just mentioned Amanda Barry there playing Elmer, of course. Now, of course, she's an she's an icon in her own way because she was uh, she was Cleo in Carry On Cleo, she was in Carry On Cabby. I mean, what was it like to work with uh, Amanda? Oh, I've got to be really careful what I say when I'm talking about Amanda Barry. She's a very naughty girl. <laughs> I um I love and adore and worship Amanda Barry uh, beyond words. Um, she is very very naughty girl and very very fun to work with. Still looks amazeballs. I actually I actually had to confess to her that she was um, responsible for my first conscious stirrings. Having met Amanda, she'd take that in a stride, wouldn't she? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She, she, yeah, she's extremely, she's extremely proud of the fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, my, I think my first conscious stirring were, 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 were thanks to Amanda, and I told her obviously she was wonderful to work with, and she was again her. If you're trying to do, do it, but if you're trying to do a scene with her and her brand of humour on, on one side of you, and then Eileen's on the other, and the two of them have been doing this for a long, long time, and they've got you in the middle, and they know they've got you. And you, they know that they can corpse you whenever they want. They're just waiting for the right time. It's like let's see how let's see how far we can wind the floor manager up and then drop you in it. <laughs> um, they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I love Amanda. I really do. Amanda, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's she's fantastic. Well, we've we've interviewed her about Coronation Street, but we also interviewed her about being a children's TV presenter because she was she presented Hickory House. With yeah. uh, with Alan Rothwell, who of course had played played Ken Barlow's brother in in the early Coronation Street, you know. So uh, you know, Amanda, you're right. Amanda is um, is fabulous, and she's also just done an interview for our. We we launched a a, a, a podcast called Bisexual Brunch, aimed at bisexual people because there isn't right. any, anything out there. And of course, she was one of the first people people we interviewed because she's so open about it and so candid and upfront and. Yeah, for somebody of her age, that is absolutely brilliant and, and very refreshing. You know, talking about Spider and his yes. um, affections of the heart. Was yes. he? Yes, he got followed around by um, by Toya, you know, George's character. But yeah. was he really ever at the beginning that interested in 
sort of love and things like that and, and meeting people? Or I mean, did it take Toya? If I remember right, it took Toya a while for it to emerge. Yeah, I mean, there was sort of something sort of um, vaguely kind of asexual about Spider. For you know, deliberately so, sort of a, a, a sort of um, an unwitting sexuality. You know, he he wasn't really. You know, he, he certainly he certainly didn't really understand the Toya thing. Then he did, and he's desperately trying to avoid it. Um, and then through the wonders of of of, of, of script landing on your desk, <laughs> he wasn't. Um, but yeah, he yeah he, he the idea, I mean he he he, he wasn't going to be a pinup. <laughs> Although he ended up being a pin-up for, 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 for some. Um, in fact, I think I ended up doing a nude centrefold for Cosmo as well. Um, but that's a by-the-by. But um, he, um, yeah, he, he just wasn't... A, he, eco-warriors don't really come across very sexy. But he obviously had something that appealed to Toya. <laughs> and, and Georgia is a very versatile actress. Um, I mean, she, she is after Coronation, of course, she did a... A very weird character in uh, in Casualty for several years, who was really mixed up and all the rest of it. Yeah, and she played a QC, and she's yeah, she's yeah, and all sorts. And now she's back back in Corrie again. But um, what was Georgia like to to work with? Because this was quite early days for her as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I thought Georgia was just a remarkable actress, especially or actor actor, I should say. She was a remarkable actor because she was so young back then. Um, and she was given really difficult storylines. She's and also for a young person because she was that that much younger. Was the amount of work that she did, just the sheer volume of work. I mean, and then that there was that amazing storyline that I was actually Spider had left by that stage, but that amazing storyline when when she was assaulted. And that that performance, I think I think it's still to this day that performance still upsets me. It still chills me. Um, I just I've. Yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough about what a great actress she is. She, yeah, she, she's she's really very, very good. So yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, she's a fantastic um, actor, as you say. And also, there was a lot of pressure, wasn't there, on her and the other characters in the Battersbeads because they come in to sort of liven things up and be this sort of wayward sort of family. But it took a while, didn't it, for them to sort of sort of bed in and and find their who they were as characters. And I suppose. Meeting Spider was probably part of that for that particular character. Yeah, I think Spider Spider served quite a good purpose in a way because obviously the the Battersby's were supposed to be a sort of a hard as nails kind of Salford family, you know, of, of a of a type. Um, but to get that across, you kind of it kind of helps if you've got someone for them to bounce off. And Spider being sort of a Thames Estuary kind of hippie is perfect for that because. Sorry, um, Spider being a Thames Estuary hippie is perfect for that because he's he, they've, they've got no, they've got no frame. Of, <laughs> Spider's perfect for that because of course being a Thames Estuary hippie, he's got no framework for it. <laughs> I have to tell the listeners because I think we'll keep this in. I have to tell the listeners we were getting competition there from from uh, Martin's cat. That, uh, <laughs> Literally wanted the attention. <laughs> I'm just going to keep walking. I've got an entire kitchen to walk in. But no, I'm going to just walk between between you and your Zoom meeting. Back and forward, back and forward. <laughs> Sorry, Ashley. Want some attention, that's the thing. You know what cats yeah. like sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you were saying, you were saying, go. Cool. Yeah, so I mean, what the, the 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 good thing about Spider and the Batsbys was that they Spider needed a very um, archetypal working class underclass family to react to with his progressive policies, um, and a reactionary character, say like Les Battersby, who was old school and like you know out on the cobble, let's have a fight. Um, he needed somebody who he could react to, like Spider. So, actually, between the two of them, and, and of course Janice as well, there was this really quite comedy gold, actually, because it's the, the complete misunderstandings of each other's natures um, and getting each other wrong, completely wrong, is it, brilliant. You know, and I used, to like, I, mean, I used to like playing with the fact that Spider was one of these very passive people but when I was doing the research of course I found out that most of these eco guys a lot of them were ex-forces you know now Spider wasn't but they but they were certainly quite happy about being aggressive so when Les would have me round the throat I'd be kind of you know violence isn't the answer with, with, with war in my eyes <laughs> and, and Vicky Entwistle is another class act isn't she she's very good Vicky bless her I went to drama school with and it was it was so nice when I first went in to have Vicky there because it was it was a kind of a freight, a reference for oh god there's Vicky from 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 school brilliant <laughs> you know but yeah 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 no it's lovely she she I mean she she had a great run on it she did I think she's a, a much missed character actually because I think she uh, she gave you know she had that sharpness. She could do serious really well, but she could also do the obviously do the comedy. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and sometimes in the same sentence. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, definitely. It'd be great. It'd be great to have her back at some point. And which brings me to the point of where did Spider end up? What happened to Spider? A fate worse than death. Streatham. Um, I think he went to no. What it? Well, hang on, I'm trying to keep up with it now. He went to. He went. He went travelling. Then he came back from travelling. Then he had a juice bar in Streatham. Then he came back again and he went to Peru. And Emily went to Peru to be with him. And so I'm assuming, as far as I am aware, he is currently re- resident of Peru. Yeah, and she's supposed to have been in Peru until recently. And then I think she may have come back and then go back. I'm not sure. But she's not in the programme at the moment. Occasionally she appears on a Zoom and says yes. a few words. So uh, I, we, I don't think we know, but I mean, it feels in a way like Eileen may have sort of gradually taken a much more of a back seat, as it were. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not official, if you know what I mean. Do you, uh, do you still watch Corrie? I know this sounds really odd, but if I, sort of, if I was missing someone, <laughs> I'd tune in just to see, have, have a little look at their face. I occasionally, occasionally I'll sort of just catch it. Generally speaking, the, the, the wife keeps me too busy to be, to be watching soaps. I have jobs to do. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, when you were there in the sort of 1990s, uh, we mentioned earlier on about the whole thing of, of them getting more and more uh, episodes of all the soaps. You know, it was like yeah. starting to build up to, I mean, I don't now, nowadays, I think Coronation Street is six across the week or whatever. Um, and I think Emmerdale's every day or something stupid. But um, obviously that, that, was cha- that was changing. But also what was changing was the nature of them in the sense that, in a way, they'd been very, you know, everything for a long time had been about character and about, you know, dialogue and all those kind of things. And I think there was still some of that left when you were there. But then it's sort of gradually changed, doesn't it? And so where everything's about quick fire action, you know, all these different major things happening, 
explosions. It yeah. does. It does seem to me that, and I completely get the pressures that the producers are under, and the the, the, the notion that you have to keep having a bigger a bigger bang, a bigger explosion, a bigger a, a more inventive death, a more current storyline, a more, but. You've got to also be careful that you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. The great thing about soaps is that you've got a wonderful opportunity to develop characters over many, many years and character interaction and how these character interactions just gently work together. I mean, June Brown was very good at that. You, you got a real feeling that she had a history with, 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 with people and that, that history wasn't just cut and paste. It, 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 it was a real thing. I think... I do genuinely think producers are aware of that now, and I do think they they are beginning to, to give a bit more time for character again. Because character is great. Character allows you to do awful things to people, and it matters more, because you're more invested. And you have to care about the character. You do have to care about a character. If a character just comes in and gets slaughtered, you know, I mean, sometimes you, it, it's like wearing a red, a red jumper in Star Trek. You know, people are bought in to, to, to either do something unspeakable and leave, um, or have something unspeakable done to them, you know, and that's and that's that's you don't get any sense that they're going to be there for any length of time. They're just there for an event to occur to. I think that's something that isn't such a good idea. But who am I to say? You know, <laughs> it's like people love these things, so fair enough. It's interesting, isn't it? I was talking to Joe Joyner from uh, who, who played Tanya in in EastEnders uh, for a few years, and and was. Uh, part of an explosive couple, really. Uh, her, she played Tanya Branning and up against Max Branning, played by Jake Wood. And they, they're, they're, you know, basically the whole thing from right from the very beginning was that he was cheating constantly on her. And, yeah, I, I did Nurses with Joe. Did you know? Okay, there you go, there you go. And, and it was a fantastic, that they had such great chemistry and you felt as though they were a real couple that you knew. And yeah. The storylines were really, really good. And then suddenly, out of the blue, when she was saying the same thing, so me as a me as a as a viewer and her as an actor was thinking the same same thing. Suddenly out of the blue, um, they invented a storyline where she buried Max alive. Yeah. <laughs> there was no build up of of oh she's gonna have a nervous breakdown or there's some kind of she's got you know this has got to be done by April you know. And, and by <laughs> I said to her I have to I had to sort of because I really like your characters together. Um, and actually it went very quickly and they went back to normal because obviously they must have realised there was a mistake. I said, I just have to erase that from my mind. Otherwise, I cannot take the programme seriously. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? With, uh, but I think with, I think with the soaps, people, people stick with it because they know that any long-running programme is going it, it, to have its peaks and troughs, isn't it? Well, absolutely, yeah. And, and all, you know, and... And you can suddenly characters kind of do re- re- regrow on you, you know, and they, they do come back and and also you. I mean, I do think I do think they they go in waves with the soaps where where you get these peaks where it's like who who can outdo who can who can kill the most members of cast off at one time, but and then, but then they sort of bring they'll bring in comedy characters again, you know. And when I say comedy, I don't mean you know slapstick, but just just that lighter touch. They they, they bring lighter characters back in. And characters which are sort of a bit more relatable, and it's not all just the dark forces of evil against the, the shining light of good, and you know, a bit more nuance creeps back in. New to distinct nostalgia. Dale, 
How the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong, masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen here on the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or go to distinctnostalgia.com. We gotta do something about your voice, kid. We're gonna snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh, Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease, and pretty soon thousands, maybe millions, will die the same way. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Three men. One sketch show. Not enough time. What are you doing? I'm uh, I'm just recording our new promo for Distinct Comedy. What's with the voice? I, I, you know, I just wanted to make it all big and exciting. Build up the tension. Build the tension for what? For listening. It's a sketch show, not a blockbuster film. You just need to say something like, Hey, we're the imaginary people. Listen to our sketch show on Distinct Comedy. You might like it, if you're into that kind of thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all right, actually. Oh, well, you better be quick before the time runs out. The Imaginary People, every Monday on Distinct Comedy. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and at distinctnostalgia.com. I've had mental health problems, I think, for most of my life. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. My friends didn't quite understand why I was being the way I was being, so support was was pretty much non-existent. A brand new podcast brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. I'm Professor Alice Roberts and this is Life Matters. Few people understand that you just actually just need to just sit and listen to what the person's saying. We do know that there are some people who tend to be more at risk than others. In our feature on the latest initiatives from around the world, we find out how three schoolgirls from Brazil have developed a suicide prevention app aimed at Generation Z. If something bad happened to me today, I'll go there and add a drop of water. We're with the team at Hollyoaks to hear how they've been showing how soap can inspire life-saving conversations among men at risk of suicide. I just feel absolutely nothing at all. Nothing. Just dead. 
This way you get to see Darren's journey behind the scenes. He's really struggling and he doesn't know how to reach out. He doesn't know how to get help. You know, it's always been this taboo subject. Join me, Professor Alice Roberts, for the very first edition of Life Matters. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. Now, you were in Corrie for, for a relatively short period in a way. I mean, it's three or four years. But in a way, I don't know if this is probably, I don't know if I'm going over, over the top here, but actually for, for a lot of people, your character was quite iconic in a way. People think of Spider. He's one of those that people remember. At the time, first of all, at the, at the time, what was the feedback you got? Did you get, you know, what response did you get from people to playing Spider at the time? I got a really, um, I got a really strange response. Really, I, I used to get told off by vegans a lot um, because they'd spot various mistakes. You know, like if I mean, I had to sort of jump up a few times and say, "He can't eat meringue. He's a vegan. He's not a vegetarian. It's you know, he can't do this. He can't do that." Um, I, but I got you know, I'd get told off for drinking beer because because of the findings in beer and various things like that. Um, but then you'd have this really weird, weird response. Like, you'd, you'd, you'd have a scaffolder go, Spider, you... And you'd be like, I had... Because I had tofu because of you the other night. <laughs> yeah, hippie. Beep, beep. I quite liked it. <laughs> you know, toot, toot, and off they drive. It's so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a very interesting response. I think the reason why people sort of remember him so well as well, it was because I did piggyback a bit on Swampy. So the real, the real sort of, the real person and Spider sometimes I think is, is a little bit meshed in people's minds. So I think that's maybe why, it, why it, people think I was around for longer than I was. That's interesting, but, isn't it? Because there will be people obviously who remember Swampy from the news and whatever, but there's probably more people who remember Spider. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mad world. <laughs> life imitating art, imitating art, imitating life. Have you ever met him? No, I haven't, no. No. There we go. We need to set up a Swampy and Spider reunion. No, re, re, you know, well, not reunion, but uh, get you together. <laughs> Compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> did, um, did you, you hinted earlier on that, that, he, that Spider did have some fans as well in terms of uh, you know, people out there who, might, uh, who fancied him as well. What, what response did you get from, uh, from women and, and others? Would you, get, would you have quite a few admirers? And you said you were... Saying, I did, I, yeah, I did. Well, I did all right, you know. <laughs> I'd get, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd get... Um, yeah, no, it's all right. I mean, I, I, I seem to be, be, the, be, be Granny's, Granny's dream that really liked me. <laughs> I, had, I, I had so many Grannies. I used to call it Granny Buzzing. <laughs> so I'd be walking down Dean Street in Manchester and it'd be like, oh, it's you! Oh, it's you, it's you, it's Spider, it's Spider! Frank, it's Spider, look! You know, they'd go into the Netto bag and they'd pull a slip of paper out of the Argos pen. Yeah, sign up for a sign up for a score, you little bastard! <laughs> um, and it was and it was great, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But, um, yeah, I sort of, you know... I, yeah, you know, I wasn't getting Gina Lola de Brigida sort of throwing herself at me, you know. It was, uh, it, yeah, it was Sybil from the Derby and Joan, but never mind. <laughs> now, now, Spider is still very much alive, as we've said. You know, he's, he's still in the back, the back storyline as to what's going on with, with Emily. Um, yeah. Could you, could you see him ever returning? Um, yes, 
Yeah, 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 can. You know, um, I don't know in what capacity, though, whether it would be... I mean, I think they wanted me to... And I, miss, and I sort of didn't realise, but I, I think they wanted me to go back to when Emily went to Peru. Um, but I, I, I just couldn't make it work at the time. But they didn't tell me that as a reason, obviously, you know, like they do. But, um, no, yeah, yeah, I'd go back, yeah, of course I would. But I, don't, I, I just don't know what it would be, be, be and I would like to... I, I think I'd want to know what the storyline would be before I went back. And I'd, I'd want a guarantee of what the storyline would be, because as you say, you know, soaps have changed a lot now, and they do like to do sort of strange, sensational things. I wouldn't want to end up doing something that I didn't think was right for the character. They might just bring you back and kill you off. Well, yeah, there's always that. You know, <laughs> Sp- Spider arrives on street, gets run over by a lorry. It's <laughs> the irony. What when you look back? Obviously, getting Coronation Street must have been a, a fantastic major moment in your life i'm sure uh, yeah but when you look back now with it in perspective how, how do you see that that period and what it did for your life and, and your career it was it was absolutely brilliant it was amazing uh, you learn so much as an actor doing a soap as well because it you know you get to practice a lot but you understand about framing you understand about filming you understand about pre- preparation and stepping on set prepared because if you're not, <laughs> you're in trouble. And so it was, it was really good. You know, the flip side of that is that there are, there have been times when my agent has, has had people say to her, I, I won't employ a soap actor. You know, which is, which is shocking, really, when you consider how many big, big, big stars started out on soaps. But I think that, I think that's changed a little bit. But I mean, on that occasion, the funny thing was, is that, that particular casting director rang back my agent a few weeks later and said, apparently the director worked with Martin before, so don't hold your breath, but we'll get him in for an audition. And my agent had the satisfaction of saying, well, don't hold your breath because he's just been cast by Ridley Scott, so you can't use him. And you're right. I mean, there's so much snobbery over the soap thing. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And when they're at their best, could be better than any actors in films and things like that. You know, some, sometimes the soaps, you know... Uh, so storylines can be really, really, really sort of challenging. Yeah, and with no rehearsal either. Exactly, exactly. You know, they've got to do it an extra, extra quick time. Um, but did you find yourself typecast at all after playing Spider? After playing him, I found that there were times when, when I think especially on British, British TV, yes, there are lots of times when I seem to be appearing in things, playing hippies who were going to eat their wife's placenta uh that was one storyline i had there were i mean you know work is work hey um there yeah there, there, there's a bit there was a bit of that and you know or, or playing playing quirky but very i'm quite quirky looking so that's fair enough because i played reg in in holby city for a while he was sort of a quirky character that was actually really nice because i was only supposed to do two episodes and i ended up being there for six months so that's quite nice um but yeah, but then, but then I, when I've done films and everything, it's, the films have been very, very different. They've tended to be, you know, Jewish resistance fighter, medieval Jewish doctor, another cat just walking in front of me. Um, sorry, I've got too many cats. Um, Jewish resistance fighter, um, a cyborg, you know, they, you know they, like, it seems that when I've done films, they've been quite different. Yeah, and, and the films you've done, let's remind people, shall we? You, you did 24-hour party people. 24-hour party, party people, people, yeah. 
Yeah, which of course is a big Manchester thing. About about lovely Manchester. Yeah, you did Chasing Liberty. Yeah, that was um, about um, the president's daughter goes AWOL in Europe to dis- to, and finds love. What was your role in that one? That was, uh, funny enough, a, a raver, a raver pickpocket who um, steals her wallet but befri- becomes her friend and they go off on adventures together and, you know, it's all wonderful. And Kingdom of Heaven? Kingdom of Heaven, I start off as a grave digger and then I have a good war, as they say, and end up getting knighted and then killed horribly. Oh, right. Well, how, did you, how were you killed? Uh, I got uh, an arrow through the eye and then was um, also had my, my throat slashed. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's a living. <laughs> and Defiance? Uh, Defiance, again, it's, it's the old thing of like every film, I, my friends joke, every film I'm in, I die. Defiance, I was a uh, Jewish resistance fighter. Um, that was with Daniel Craig. Yeah, and Liv Shriver, uh, Jamie Bell, running around uh, the woods of Belarusia shooting guns. It's great. And how do you find working in films to working in TV? You, you started in some quite good ones there, haven't you? I mean, how did you find that? I, I do like doing films. I'll be honest with you. I do like doing films. Um, it depends how involved in the film you are. I mean, with, with Ridley on Kingdom of Heaven, he said to me, he, he had a moment where he just said, I, I want to keep the gravedigger in it. I want the gravedigger to go to Jerusalem, have a good war. And be a kind of third party. So he wants a he wanted a pagan basically. He said it probably I'll probably cut it from the film, but I need it for me. Are you okay with that? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's a whole sort of storyline that runs through it that didn't quite make it into the final film, but that's what it was. It, it you know it is what it is. But my point of that whole long winded ramble was I was in it for a long time. And it's kind of fun because you've got this, the circus comes to town. I mean, it's literally caravans pull up, you know, and you're billeted at a local hotel and you, you know, one minute you're in the Spanish Pyrenees and then the next minute you're in the middle of a, the Sahara Desert. And it's, and it's amazing. You know, or alternatively, you're freezing, you're freezing cold at Woolwich Arsenal on a January morning, shivering away. But it, but it, but it, but it's fascinating. It's interesting and it's, and you know that it, 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 everyone's sort of come together in a very intense relationship, but then it's all going to dissipate again as well. Whereas with TV series, obviously, it, it's a kind of it's an ongoing thing. And there's, but there's more, time, there's more time to develop friendships and relationships, I guess. Uh, of course. Now, one thing I didn't realise you were in, and we've done three interviews on Distinct Nostalgia uh, with uh, Daniel Nardini, Jack Davenport and News. <laughs> Uh, you were also in, in that iconic 1990s series, This Life. I was in This Life. I, I, I wasn't one of the major characters in it. I played, I, I played Rent a Scumbag in it. I, th- I think Daniela had to save me from a, from a court case. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't very bright and I wasn't very clever and I was probably going to be back inside pretty soon afterwards. But yeah, yeah I, I, I can say that I was in This Life. And were you, was, that towards, was that the second series, the first series? I, oh gosh, I think it was the first series. Did you know at that point that it was a big thing, or was this place? No, it, no, 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 because no. it became an overnight. Well, not an overnight success. It was a quiet success on BBC Two, wasn't it, for a while? For a yeah, while. well, well, there's a big buzz about it because obviously so many actors of my age were going to be in it. So, so there was a bit um, amongst my generation of actors. It was, it was a big thing. It was a big. Everyone knew about it. You know, and it was, yeah, everyone was like, Chow, go in. The, chatter, the chatter about it. And then it's like, oh, have you been in it? 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 Because they, they used up a lot of us. You know, we all cycled through it. But yeah, no, I, I, I can say that I was in this life. Fabulous, fabulous. An iconic series that uh, people of a certain generation 
always hold up, don't we? You know, it's sort of uh, yeah. It was a nine. It, it, it sort of um, the British, the, the British Friends, wasn't it? They sort of pitched it as initially. Yeah, yeah, but apart from the fact they had all these weird camera movements and yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we're just going to put a strange camera angle in just, just, just for the hell of it. Whee! Well, it, it's great to talk to you, um, uh, Martin, and you're still working. You're still doing stuff. For the yeah, yeah. Street fans out there who want to know what you're up to, what you've been doing, where they can find things that you've been up to. Obviously, uh, there's, 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 the pandemic's kind of kiboshed things. Um, but I think the last thing I did was the last, it was called The Last Faust with Stephen Burkhoff. Um, and that's a, a, a reimagining of, of Faust, um, who s- sells his soul to the devil for, for knowledge and power and basically also becomes disassociated does, does he does he exist does he not exist what lots lots it, it's it's very deep but it's also it's with an artist it was directed by an artist called Philip Hum so it's also relating to a lot of his artwork as well so very strange piece um on a more sort of traditional thing i did car road to revenge which is kind of like a b movie classic where playing a, a cyborg called talon uh, who runs around basically blowing people up and shooting stuff which is nice. Uh, I, I think that I think that's sort of most recent stuff that I've done. But to a lot of people, of course, you will always you must realise this. I'll always be hello, Auntie M. It's me, Spider. <laughs> and do people still come up to you in the street and say hello, Spider? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll still get called Spider. Um, I think amongst a certain generation, I probably always will. You know, I've got I've got the kind of boat race that people kind of don't forget once they associate it with, especially if you put it with a good nickname. No, absolutely, absolutely. Martin, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. And you, Ashley. Cheers, mate. Thank you. You're listening to Distinct Nostalgia, home to some incredible interviews with stars from all your favourite soaps. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not head over to distinctnostalgia.com for a treasure trove of programmes just like this. Lisa Williamson of Hollyoaks fame talks about life on the programme. So we all got to know each other quite well. If you were chatting to some of the writers about something you've been getting up to, they would sort of write that in. So you started realising that some of your personality traits would come into the show. And I got the script and I thought, what have I been up to? I got pregnant. I had the child adopted. It was, you know, when you think, wow, the writers have really gone to town for me today. You know, it's, it was great. Fantastic. Andrew Linford and Mark Homer reflect on sharing their first kiss on EastEnders in the 1990s. When the, the Blackpool episode came out, front page of the tabloids, it was like, get this scum off our TV and things like that. Just horrendous stuff. It, it was kind of the start of, of, of a big thing, really, and we're privileged to be involved in, in storylines like that, I really am. And Nick Cochran discusses his life on the street as we continue our celebration of Corrie at 60. They were just brilliant with us, you know, because we were a couple of little sh- who've fortunately found the way into the TV's biggest show without really knowing what they're doing. That's bottom line, that's where me and Simon were at that point. Myself and Simon are old school people. We were brought up properly, mate, and, and so there was a lot of respect then, more than there is now. These programmes and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now.
Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.